feel like God really wants to speak to people, but before we um, get into the message, for those who are unaware, uh, today is actually International uh, Infant and Child Loss um, Memorial Day. And this is a day that our international community uh, has put into the calendar because such losses are actually not spoken about a lot. Uh, you know, many women are actually told not to share about their pregnancies for the first uh, trimester because pregnancy can be a tricky uh, a time and, and, and so many people are uh, suffering losses without being able to talk about it in the community. And so as a church, when we learn about this, uh, we went, you know what, we actually want to be a part of the solution. Uh, we want to be doing something and so what we've created is annually we have um, a space for people to come and to uh, write down the names of the little ones that they have lost and to put them on a tree and then we'll put it up every year as a sign that this is a life that was lost and this is a life that we will celebrate no matter how short it was it is still a life that is worth remembering it's not something to be swept under the carpet and as we've learned grief is not something you get over it's not something you just move past but it's something that you learn how to live with and one of the ways that we learn how to live with grief is to have little memorials that help us remember this is a significant loss. This is a child um, uh, that, that was uh, mine, and now um, we hand him or her over to the Lord, and um, it's significant. And so uh, we, we had some time before the gathering for people to use this room, and you're still more than welcome to use that after the gathering. And if you want prayer, we'll have a couple of our teams just there. Um, it's totally up to you. There's no pressure. Some people, you have, you, 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 you have this memorial, and it's something that you can actually celebrate and go, hey, I enjoyed the time that I had, and you are able to feel um, pleasure in that kind of a way, in that kind of a sense, and, and that's totally great. That's awesome that this is a season that you're in where the grief isn't heavy and, and, and maybe overwhelming as well. Uh, but for some other people, if you're in a place where that is quite overwhelming, we would just love to be able to gather around you as the family of God and to journey with you in the season. Can we just pray? Um, Dear God, we pray for every person, uh, those gathered here, but also those that might not be here this morning. And uh, we want to pray for all those who have suffered losses in their life of little ones. And God, this is such a painful thing. And so God, we acknowledge it. We don't understand why this necessarily happens. We don't know how uh, your plans and purposes are supposed to look like in this. But God, we thank you that your grace is still sufficient for us. We thank you that God, that we can hold on to the promise that that you are working all things for the good of those who love you and are called by your name. And so, God, we just pray that over every person. We pray your comfort and we pray your grace. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Awesome. So, yes, please um, make full use of the room. It's been set up um, just for you to have a moment. And, um, and, and, and we would just love to be able to support you in any way that we can. You can just talk to uh, one, of, one of the team and, and let us know if there's some way that we can journey with you. Um, but on to the message. This morning, I want to read from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Um, and this is what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
What a wonderful uh, uh, passage, and I think most of us, if you've been in church for long enough, you would probably have heard this at some stage. Um, but this kind of, for this week, as I was thinking about this, it reminds me of a really difficult um, trial that I had in 2006. So that's going back 17 years ago, and um, this was actually close to the end of my time in national service, and um, for some reason, things got mucked up uh, for my training, and so um, we, where am I trying to go with this? I was posted as a reconnaissance trooper or a scout. We did our reconnaissance trooper course at the end of our time rather than the start of our time because there were booking conflicts. So it was already towards the end of our time. We had already passed all our exams. We had already uh, uh, passed with flying colors, actually, but then we were going through this course. And the final thing in this course for us was uh, an exercise or a trial called the long walk. And this is what it was. It was a long walk. We started walking from 4 p.m. one evening, and we did not finish walking till 6 a.m. the next day. 14 hours of walking, and we carried, uh, in, in Singapore military terms, we carried our full packs, which was everything that we were meant to carry. Uh, and let me tell you some of the items that were in our packs. We carried sneakers, because if at some point we were to get injured and needed to take off our boots, um, uh, safety regulations, who loves safety regulations, required that we would still put those sneakers on. And so, for this 14-hour walk, we had sneakers in our backs while we had boots on our feet. We carried an extra set of t-shirt and shorts in case at some point, I don't know, we got too hot and we got chucked somewhere and we needed to change out of our uniforms into this, uh, our, our PT kits. Uh, we carried a roll of toilet paper. Um, uh, we carried toothpaste because uh, while you're walking 14 hours, you definitely want to brush your teeth. Um, we carried the full pack. And on top of that, we needed to carry our full uh, uh, dummy ammunition. We weren't allowed full ammunition because we're actually walking through civilian areas. Um, and, and we also needed to have enough water uh, for us to be sustained through this whole thing. And, of course, our beloved army rations, which we love to chow down on, not. Um, that was the worst thing in the world. It was, Singapore had this weird one. Uh, the Singapore army had something called cabbage rice, which... Um, it smelled like off cabbage that was just stewed into rice. And I was like, how is this supposed to sustain anyone? And, um, and so when I read this passage of, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, uh, let us run, right? Let's lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance. One of the things about endurance is that you need to be aware of what you're carrying while you're on this endurance race. Make sense? So when we started this walk, by the way, it wasn't just walking um, 14 hours. You had to find all these uh, checkpoints, and, and that was part of the whole exercise. And so once we were out of sight of our, our start point and all, where all commanders were, we immediately stopped, we went into our packs, and we threw out everything that we could throw out. So the cabbage rice is sitting somewhere in the Singapore jungle 
for some poor beast to one day find. Probably, it already smelled like it was rotting, so I don't know what it would smell like if it rots some more, but uh, it might never be found again. So it's there in, in, in the jungle. Uh, uh, we threw that out. We threw out, our, we threw out whatever we wouldn't mind buying later because we knew that we were on this endurance trial. We did not want anything to hamper us on this journey. We did not want to have weights on us that were unnecessary. In fact, we tried to chuck down our food as early as possible in this exercise so that we would lighten our loads because we knew we were in for it. And so when uh, the author of Hebrews tells us that we are in an endurance race and we need to cast off every weight, I think we need to think about that. We need to think about that in terms of our heart and in terms of our soul. What are the weights that are hanging on us that we actually need to get rid of? There are things that cling to us, and specifically, this week, I want to look at that phrase. It says, and sin which clings so closely. The sin that entangles, the sin that trips us up, the sin that, that, that is just there, the sin that somehow manages to stick to us. You see, the Bible is pretty clear that even though we are saved by Christ, we have been washed by His blood, that sin no longer has a hold of us. And we love seeing that sin has no hold on me and is still here with me. It's still here. I still struggle with it. It's still uh, uh, clinging on. And, and it's like, the picture that I get is like, you know, Venom, the little symbiote that kind of clings to Spider-Man. And it's like, you try to chuck it out and it comes back and it's like, oh, this black icky stuff. We need to learn how to lay aside every weight, lay aside the sin that clings so closely. So do not come on a Sunday morning, say this prayer, inviting Jesus into your life, and assume that sin will no longer be an issue that you have to deal with. What we need to understand is that the power of sin over us has been broken so that we can make different choices. However, it is still something that we need to deal with. And so let me just ask you, what kind of weights do you need to get rid of? See, I wonder whether we actually have this in our frame often, especially if you've been Christian for a long time. It's like, yeah, I've dealt with that one. I've dealt with the big things. I don't feel like killing anyone. I don't feel like going into adultery. I must be all right. The truth is all of us are always on a journey of lightening our loads. We are all on this journey, and on the way, we are still discovering that there are things that we need to get rid of, and that's what I want to talk to us about today. 1 Peter 2, verses 9 to 12, this is what it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. See, I was looking at this, and a couple of things come out to me. Peter first says to the believers, and by the way, he had written to all of these believers because they were facing severe persecution. 
These are not people uh, who, who, who were living normal lives. These were people who were struggling with the fact that people were going to kill them for their faith. So I'm pretty confident that none of us in this room are necessarily suffering in the same way that Peter's intended audience were. And so he encourages them by saying something. He encourages them by speaking into their identity and says, you are, this is who you are. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. Now that sounds kind of nice, doesn't it? For us to know that God has actually chosen us. In fact, it's not just nice. This is a corner piece of our gospel that God would actually choose to be in relationship with us. That God would come down to live with us, to die on the cross for us, so that we can be His own possession. And on top of that, He uses this language that you are a holy nation. But if you notice something, this is one of the paradoxes in the Bible. He says, but you are, not you are going to be, not that one day you will be, but it says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own possession. And then a few verses later, in verse 11, he says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. So are we a chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, or are we sojourners and exiles? It doesn't quite fit the picture sometimes, does it? You see, sometimes I think that as Christians, we get this sense that God has already done all these amazing things, and I am already in the complete form of who I ever can be. That's not the case. The answer to whether we are a holy nation, royal priesthood, or whether we are exiles, the answer is Yes. See, the thing is, God has given us the ability right now to understand that my citizenship is not a citizenship based on earth. However, it is also the truth that we are still living on earth. Just in the same way that when I, uh, my family moved over to Perth in 2001, I was 15 at that time, and, and we migrated over here. I was kicking and screaming because I didn't really want to, but then we moved here, and three and a half years later, Australia was home. I loved Australia. I love Perth. This is absolutely home. And for two years after that, in 2005 and 2006, I spent two years in the Singapore army fighting for a country I no longer identified with. I was technically still a Singaporean, but my heart was already in Perth. It would be a few years later, in 2008, before I become a citizen, a full citizen in Australia. But in that moment, I knew where I was going. I knew who I wanted to be. But right now, I was serving two stinking years in the army. And I was being called all sorts of things and sworn at and, and being made to walk from 4 p.m. to 6 a.m. the next day with 25 kilos on my back. In every single one of those moments, I felt exactly like a sojourner or an exile. I did not feel like I was where I was meant to be, but yet the reality is this is where I'm at right now. God has saved us, and God is calling us, and God has given us a citizenship that is beyond this place. However, we are not there yet. 
And so what we need to realize is that God has given us grace, God has given us mercy, and this is what Peter says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. And I read this this week, and it actually makes so much sense. These passions wage war against your soul. These passions wage war against your soul. These passions aren't sitting nicely, but there is this conflict that is taking place inside of your soul. What I want to call that those passions is sin. See, sometimes I think we identify sin as actions of terrible people, terrible actions that we would never, ever get close to. But the more I've been looking into the Word over this week, the more I realize that sin is those terrible actions, but sin also starts off as passions that war against our soul. And whenever we feel a disturbance in our soul, it's likely that sin is trying to talk to us. And sin is trying to, but what about this? But what about that? Look at that person. Look at what they have. What kind of life would you like? And it starts to build up these fantasies that build and build and become things that we are passionate about. Ultimately, if we truly understand our citizenship, we would be passionate for the things that are to come rather than the things that are. Now, hear me out. I'm not saying that we can't enjoy and have comfort and, uh, and have great things on this earth because the Bible does tell us, especially in the book of Ecclesiastes, that what better than a man uh, to enjoy the toil of his hands? The Bible does say that we can enjoy it, but if our lives become passionate about these things, we are going to lose sight of what is taking place in our real home. I had a few friends. I, I had one particular friend who, uh, um, at the same time as I was, we were serving national service together. We met in Perth. We were friends in Perth, and we were in national service together. And for some stupid, crazy reason that goes beyond my understanding, he enjoyed national service. He enjoyed being in the jungle, rolling around and playing army. He enjoyed shouting and telling other people what to do. He enjoyed doing all the crappy stuff that the army made us do. He enjoyed that, and he became passionate about that. He was so passionate that he wasn't actually accepted as an officer, uh, to be an officer in training. So what did he do? He opted instead to go for specialist training, which is sergeants, not full officer. He did the six months. He graduated as one of the best members of that cohort so that he was then allowed to do the officer's training. And so most officers were trained for nine months. He was training because of the specialist training for a whole year, and he enjoyed it. When we moved back to Perth a few years later, he actually moved back to Singapore because he loved Singapore for some strange reason to me. And one day, this idiot of a man who is my close friend he realized that he wasn't called up for reservists because in Singapore, you keep doing reservists for something like 15 years. He realized that he hadn't received a call 
So what did he do? He calls the army up and says, are you going to have me back? Why would you do that? Because he was passionate about it. He enjoyed it. I wonder how many of us have become passionate about this world that we're living in to the point that we've forgotten our true citizenship, that we were created not for this world, but for something of eternal value. We were not created to just simply, simply enjoy our nine to five from Monday to Friday. I saw this thing the other day, which just absolutely broke my heart. Uh, 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 an old friend posted on, on Facebook this quote that says that, you know, uh, we work until our retirement age of, of 65 or 67, and then the average uh, life expectancy is maybe about 80. And so we've owned, so we work all the way from, you know, maybe 18 to 65, and then we enjoy our lives for 13 years. We should flip it around. And I'm like, is that what life is about? I got enough money so I can enjoy, I've got enough stuff so I can be comfortable. I've got enough, I've accumulated enough in this world, so now I can be happy. You see, I don't mean this to be condemning, but I think that that is meant to be a passion that wages war against your soul. I don't know if I can communicate this in sufficient ways, and I'm praying that the Holy Spirit is speaking to each and every single one of us. See, our soul has been created for, uh, for something of eternity. Our soul has been created for something so meaningful that we are meant to be longing for it. We are meant to be longing for the things of God. The, the Bible, uh, Peter uses the word, there are passions at war. How many of us are equally passionate about God and then the other things that we're passionate about? You know, a few of us blokes were talking about fishing, and I saw a lot of passion there. <laughs> we're talking about fish that size, and the one that got away. I'm just, you know, we, we can talk about stuff at, oh man, I need, to get, I need to get there. That's my happy place. I need to get there. It's totally cool for you to have that place that you need to get to on this earth, but do you have a, I need to get there, into His presence, into the things of God, on a Sunday morning, do you wake up going, I need to get here where I know that there are going to be the people of God worshiping together and lifting God's name up because when two, two or three are gathered and worshiping God, His presence is going to be there. Am I passionate about this or am I more passionate about, oh, I had a long week at work and I could really use some time for myself. Some of us don't even have passions at war. Maybe because we've given up on the true passions of our soul. See, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking to anyone but myself. I was reading this this week and I was going like, is there still that war going on in me? Do I still get a little bit like, oh man, but, but the God stuff, that's, where, that's, that's, that's what is calling me. Have I gotten so blasé about the things of God and what God is doing to the point where I just go like, yeah, yeah, it happens to other people, but it doesn't happen to me. Have we just gotten so used to the things of God that the war stopped? 
See, Peter keeps talking to these guys, and, and we're actually going to go back a little bit because I, I really love this passage. But remember that he was talking to people who were being heavily persecuted. These people were losing life for Christ, and he was still talking to them about the passions of the flesh. I'm kind of like, it's the human condition, man. It is our sinful condition to so long for the things of this world, to so allow sin to speak to us in that way. Come on, let's look at 1 Peter uh, 1, uh, verse 13 to 16. It says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, so you also be holy in all your conduct, since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. See, this isn't... When we, we, we just sang the song, Make Room... And sometimes, because of uh, some of the traditions that we've grown up in, we think that the stuff that uh, churches have talked about for years about, you know, uh, not doing this and not doing that, we call it legalism. But really, the root and the heart of a lot of that, and sometimes, yes, it can go astray, is that God is holy and He calls us to be holy. And so it says to abstain from certain things. And, and the church has over time said, don't do this, don't do that. Why? Because God is holy and He calls you to be holy. He calls you to be passionate for certain things and not to be passionate about other things. That's what it's meant to be about. But the first verse I read out there, I thought this was really interesting. You see, the battle against sin is actually in your mind. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope. You see, sometimes we think that our hope is a feeling. We think that how I, how I feel about certain things, how I feel about what God is doing determines whether He's doing something. My hope is not set in my emotions, it's set in my mind. I set my mind on the things of God. And so can I encourage you, we are on a race that requires endurance and is required of us to set our minds on the things of God. We are required to think about our journey. We are required to understand the weights that are entangling us and to say, I'm going to get rid of it. So how do I identify the things that are entangling me? Follow the passions. Take some time. Reflect. What are the things that are actually driving you uh, and you're actually passionate about? Is that of God? Is that in the Word of God? Or is that coming from the world? See, one of the greatest things, the greatest issues, the greatest wars that have come up in our culture over the last few years is the culture uh, of, of love is love. And because I love something, that is what I should be following. Well, where's that passion coming from? Is it coming from God or is it coming from self-gratification? See, marriages are falling apart because of that same kind of thinking. This marriage is no longer fulfilling me. I'm out of here. 
It's like maybe it's not fulfilling because you haven't been playing your part. You haven't been investing your part into this marriage. Maybe it's not fulfilling because you are a jerk. Can I put it that way? Maybe it's unfulfilling because you are a lazy bum who hasn't put a single ounce of effort into building a relationship where both parties are actually able to grow and to be built up. One of the greatest things that I love to tell people about to get married, and maybe people who have been married and are trying to find their way in, in, in married life, is understand the mission that God has put you together for. What's the mission? Why did God bring you two together? If you can't do a mission together, why are you together? The whole point of every relationship is ultimately to build ourselves up for the purposes of the kingdom. You know, I love telling youth because youth always get tripped up about this, but when eternity comes, when the fullness of the kingdom is here, marriage is not a thing anymore. Why? Because marriage is just supposed to imitate the relationship we have with Jesus. So if your marriage right now isn't pointing you to Jesus, eternity is going to suck, man. You're looking at the wrong stuff. Your passions are in the wrong place. So follow those passions. Where are they leading? Last week we spoke about the Word of God and the primacy and importance of the Word of God. When you get into the Word of God, when you open up the Word of God, what passions are at war the moment you try to read the Word of God? That can actually be an amazing revelation of the passions that are at war in your soul. I'm there. Some mornings I wake up and I go, so much work. Anyone been there before? You open the Word of God, it's like, oh, I'm at work. Like, how many of us do that when you first started dating? You know, the first time you went on a date with your crush or your soon-to-be spouse, and your first date, you go, oh, so much work. It's like, no, because your passions are in the wrong place. It's like, oh, man, I really want to know what's on social media. Why? What is that passion saying? What are those passions saying? I need to have relationships this way. Why? What does it say? I'm not saying that every answer is wrong. I'm just saying examine it. Why do you live your life in a certain way? Why do you make the choices that you make? Some of us haven't been self-reflective enough to understand how we are being driven because those passions have become so natural to us. We have listened to those natural thoughts and rhythms for so long that we don't even see it as the sin that that clings so closely. Preparing your minds for action. When was the last time you considered tweaking this a little bit and using this a little bit to examine your life? Sober-minded, how am I going? If I were to stand before God today, would I be able to say, I have loved you with everything? And honestly, I don't know if I can. I feel like I've got another 20 years to get that right. It's like, hang on. I don't want to look back at my life when I get to retirement 
and go, oof, I held back from God. I don't want to stand before God one day and consider I could have done more. But that requires me today, today to soberly consider, am I living and doing everything because I'm a citizen in heaven? One final verse, 1 Peter 2, 1 to 3, it says this, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants, long for this pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I read this this week. And the thing that catches my heart is that I don't know if I'm always that desperate for Jesus. I don't know if I'm that passionate for Jesus. See, I've got a four-year-old. He turned, Sam turns four today, everyone. And it's been an amazing journey. But when Sam was an infant, a little bub, I have never seen anyone so hangry. <laughs> when he didn't get his food, like we had to preempt when he was going to get hungry, because if he gets over hungry, you put the milk bottle in his mouth, and he's crying so hard, he's choking on the very thing that he wants. I kind of want to be like that with God. I kind of want to arrive on a Sunday morning going like, man, there's going to be some good milk here today. That sounds a bit wrong. And it's going to be, God's going to be here this morning. This is what Peter is saying to a church that is being severely persecuted to the point of being eradicated. And he tells them, be passionate about God. He tells them it's the daily stuff that is going to sustain you. It's about watching that you are still passionate about the things that got you into God's presence in the first place. Don't graduate from that. Don't mature from that. Now I can learn how to juggle my life with my Christian life. Let your life be one. Let everything that you do be about lifting God up. What are the things that God is putting on your heart? Let me just, I, I was thinking about this. Like, How do we define sin? Sin is any time I follow desires that take me away from the voice of God. Including that, whatever. The <laughs> sin is every time I listen to the voice that takes me away from the voice of God. And I'm not here to label specific behaviors sin, but I want you to hear my heart. When the Bible tells us, do not neglect the meeting together, and God is actually working on your heart and saying, rock up. And you say, 
I don't need to, that's probably sin. When Jesus says, abide in me, and he's calling you closer, and it comes time for you to read your Bible and pray in order to abide with him, and you go, I can't be bothered. That's sin. When the Bible tells us to lift up holy hands in the presence of God, and you go, I'm too uncomfortable for that stuff. That's too Pentecostal for me. <laughs> that could be sin. When God is saying, be more undignified in my presence, and you go, I've got too much dignity to do that. Yes. That's sin. When God says, go talk to that person and show love to that person, you go, but they stink. That's sin. But it's not sin because God's got a bunch of rules that he wants you to follow. It's sin because it's taking you away from having the right passions in your heart. And that's why the psalmist writes, renew the right passions, renew a right spirit within me. Help me to love the things that you love. Help me to be a true citizen of heaven. Sin is not something that you trifle with. Sin is something that weighs you down. Sin is the cabbage rice in your backpack that you need to chuck out into the jungle and never see again. It keeps fighting its way back into those ration packs. But you keep chucking it out because I've got a walk to get onto. I've got a place that I'm going to. And God is saying that this is not something that I should be carrying. Church, if we start to listen to the voice of God and we make that our primary passion, can you imagine what kind of life you could live? Can you imagine the kind of things that could happen? I'm in a place where I'm actually dissatisfied with where I'm at with God because I believe that I've got a little bit complacent and a little bit dull in my senses and I'm okay with second rate rather than the fullness of what God has for me. So church, this is an invitation. Beck and I, we've been chewing on this word unleashed for 2024. For us to be unleashed, we need to have a direction. When I unleash Sam and I don't show him where to go, he goes. <laughs> Not always to the right place. If we allow the voice of God to come back into our hearts, if we become more passionate about the things of God, if every moment and every day we start to go, God, what is your voice saying to me? God, what are you saying to me today? What are the disciplines? Yes, disciplines. What are those things that are difficult, that I don't like, that you are asking me to do? You know, I think that sometimes God is heavier on certain disciplines in our life because you need to grow in that area. Sometimes other people have different disciplines because they are at different walks in their life. When I was a kid, my parents made me make my bed every single morning before I was allowed to do anything else. They don't do that anymore because I matured past that. I now have a wife for that. <laughs> She's in kids. But the whole point of making the bed wasn't making the bed for the sake of making the bed. It was for the sake of being disciplined. Yeah. 
There's some of you that need to get into the disciplines you hate. Eat your broccoli, church. Eat your medicine. Get disciplined. Start thinking, what are the things that are actually taking me away from God? Me, personally, I need to stop thinking that I'm doing enough. I don't know where, at some point, I got to a place, I've just seen that. I think that I'm doing enough. I don't think I am anymore. God's putting His hand on it. I'm not doing enough. I want to pray more now. And you know, the great thing about this is that the passion when you start to set your mind on the things of God rises, and the challenge also does. I just pray that you lean into the passion. Some of you need to take risks in this next season. Trust that God, He's the one who understands sowing and reaping. What are you sowing? Maybe that's another great question. What are you sowing? What, what, what are you trying to, to reap? I want more of God. Yes. Yes. I, I want more of God. I'm not satisfied with second-rate Christianity. I'm not satisfied with half-filled Christianity. I'm not satisfied with lame Christianity. I want a full package. I want everything that God has for me. So how am I sowing into that? Some of it is going to require risks. Why? Because God's teaching you the way of the kingdom, not the way of the earth. There are going to be people around you that say, oh, don't try so hard. And it's like, get around the people who will stoke that passion and that fire. We need a church that is unleashed. We need a church that makes room for God. And so when I sing, shake up the ground of my traditions, break down the wall of my religion, I'm saying that about my fleshly traditions and my fleshly religions. There are things that need to go in here. Throw off every weight and sin that clings so closely and run with endurance. Endurance. It wouldn't be called endurance if it didn't cause pain. Some of you think that the grace of God stops you from having pain. The grace of God gives you the ability to grow through your pain. And so I, I, I don't mean this to sound trite, but you know, with every person that has lost little ones, I couldn't imagine something more heartbreaking. God is able to use that pain. And His grace is sufficient for you. And He's able to do something so big. And I'm not saying that that wasn't big, but I believe that we belong to a kingdom that is ruled by a good father. One who's able to give exceedingly abundantly above and beyond. Beyond what I imagine, beyond what I understand, beyond what I know. But my hope is set on him, the author and finisher of our faith. If we can get the band up this morning. I just want to have this moment as a soft moment. It doesn't need to to go anywhere, but can we just stand as a church? Can I just lead us in a prayer?
a prayer of dedication, a prayer of commitment, a prayer perhaps like a vow that we're just saying to God, God, this is what I'm going to do. I need more of you, Jesus. If that's you, if that's your prayer, why don't you just put your hands out and just say, God, I want more of you. Why don't you just begin to say that, church? Why don't you even just begin in your own way to say, God, I want more of you. I need more of you. I don't want what I've got right now. I don't believe that this is all that there is. I know that there is more. I know that there is more. Come on, God. I want more of you. I want more of you in my life. I want more of you in my everyday. I want more of you. I want more of you. So Jesus, I pray for every person that is saying this prayer. I pray to God that you come and you hear. I pray for your grace. I pray to God that it says in your word, for those who have tasted and understood and seen and known that you are good, for those people right now in this room who are still struggling to know that you are good, I pray, God, that you just speak right now. I pray for your spirit to pour out more. I pray right now for the spiritual milk that will cause us to grow up in our salvation. I pray, God, for more. I pray, God, for so much more. And for every person that is struggling to take this step, who's worried about the risk that it will be, I pray that, God, that you will give us the courage to step out into all that you have for us, God. I thank you, Jesus. So God, I pray that as we step into this next year, into all that you have for us, I pray, God, that we won't hold back. I pray, God, that we would just allow you to move. I pray that we will be sober-minded. We will be active in our minds, that we will speak, that we will reflect, that we will understand what it is that you are saying to us. I pray this in your name. Amen. The band will just lead us in this softly. If you just want to have a moment with Jesus, just do that. If you want prayer, why don't you come forward and I'll pray with you. Because I believe that God wants to do something really awesome in people's lives. But it's going to require us to step into it. We can't be passive about this church. We need to run this race. We need to cast off the sin that easily entangles, that clings so closely to us. So if that's you, just stick around, just worship in God's presence, just stay or come forward and I'll pray for you. If not, you can head over into the foyer and we'll see you for some morning tea in just a few moments. Let me just close in prayer. God, I thank you for all that you are doing in our midst. I pray, God, that we get captured by the things that you are doing in your mighty name. Amen. Thank you so much, church. Come forward if you want prayer. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.